You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Wait for me, I'm coming. Wait, I'm coming with you. You're listening to Way Down Hadestown, a miniseries from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. Welcome back. I'm Mo Brady. Hey guys, this is our mini-series from The Ensemblist, where we are speaking to the entire ensemble of a Broadway musical. Yes, there are only five of them, but we've sat down with each one of them to hear one by one what it's been like to be in the newest Tony Award winner for Best Musical. They share their thoughts about the characters they've created and the careers that got them there. John Krause made his Broadway debut in the company of Fun Home. Kind of, but we'll get to that later. He's toured with American Idiot and Wicked, as well as playing Drew in the Las Vegas sit-down production of Rock of Ages. John plays worker number three in Hadestown, as well as understudying the role of Orpheus. Here's our conversation. Hi, John. Hi, Mo. Will you introduce yourself and tell us what neighborhood of New York City you live in? Uh, my name is John Krause. I am an ensemble worker in Town on Broadway, and uh, I live up in Washington Heights, almost Inwood area. When was the first time you heard about Town? Actually, I heard about it on a bus in Edinburgh, Scotland. I remember it very vividly because I was on tour with the non-union tour of American Idiot, and I was listening to uh, Bon Iver, you know, with Spotify, just I think was a very new app. And it said, if you like this person, you might also like. And it said, Anais Mitchell. And I was like, who's this? You know, what's she about? I fell in very quickly in love with her music. And then I listened to all of Town because Bon Iver, Justin Vernon, is featured on it, is the Orpheus. Um, he really he does all the vocals for Orpheus on there. I was like, this would make a great musical. <laughs> and then so I then heard rumblings of it in 2016, I guess, because um, there were readings and they were coming to Off-Broadway. I was just knew that I had to be a part of it in some way if I could. What was the first point that you were a part of the Town family? Just Broadway. Just Broadway. Yeah, I had okay. an audition. It's really crazy how the time has, it really hasn't even been a full year and how much it's like changed my life. Uh, I auditioned in December of 2018. And then New Year's rolled around and I hadn't gotten the job yet. And I was back in LA where I'm from. And um, I got a call to come back to New York to do basically the same audition that I did in front of all the same people kind of. But I think maybe a couple more producers were in the room. And then I got the job January 8th, I think it was. And then started rehearsals in February. And here we are. That is such a fast turnaround. <laughs> it's really, really crazy. Like, what an emotional thing to go through on your, like, holiday break. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, like, I was home with my family and uh, my fiance and her family. We're all from Los Angeles. And part of me was thinking, you know, I've done some great tours. I've done a lot of great theater that I'm very proud of. But I, I really miss home and I want to be home. And maybe Broadway isn't going to happen for me. Because I didn't think I was the typical kind of like song and dance that Broadway needs or wants. But I always thought if there's going to be a Broadway show for me, it's going to have guitar involved. And this kind of like 
tenor rock singing that I do. And lo and behold, here comes Hades Town. So when you went in for the show initially, was it for an Orpheus cover? Yeah, it was. The way it's changed is pretty remarkable, and I'm so grateful that it panned out the way it did. I went in for. It was originally, I think, the standby for Orpheus. So it would have just been like an Elphaba standby, like just there to put on the green makeup <laughs> and sit around. But then it became, over time, I think I had six callbacks. And it kept every time I get a new one, it would say like ensemble, understudy, or offstage swing slash Orpheus. It kept changing because I think they just needed to figure out the coverage because it's such a specific show. Now knowing, you know, what they need people to cover. And Tell me about worker number three. Does he have a name? He does have a name, actually. I, I'm sure a lot of people go through the process of finding a name for their character, but I've never really done that. If something comes about and I feel a certain, like, that's great, but I don't, like, think, what did he have for breakfast this morning? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't go that deep. But Reeve, actually, in rehearsals, was like, do you have a name for your character? And I was like, oh, uh, no. Do you, do you want one? <laughs> and he was like, uh, well... We have this moment where I take his guitar from him and he's like, I like to, if I have a moment with someone, I like to like call them by their name. And I was like, interesting. So I'm going to, I just thought on it and I came up with Jax, J-A-X, which is, my initials are J-A-K. So sometimes people have called me Jack in the past, but also it reminds me of Ajax, which is an, another uh, hero from Greek mythology. That's great. Yeah. All right. So, so <laughs> okay. So Jax. Yeah. Are you Jax when you go to the underworld? No. And I think intentionally so. Because in the underworld, I, I, don't, I don't think we have names. I think we're void of, we're definitely void of our souls and our personalities. So I think that devoids us of our names. And so I think definitely more apt is worker one, two, three, four, you know? Spoiler alert, everyone's had different na- answers to those two really? questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's actually something that I really enjoy about this process is that there was no strict guidelines for how to express ourselves as our characters. We were given a lot of freedom as an ensemble members to find our way and find our place. Is there one of the principal characters that you think Jax identifies with most in the show? Yeah, it's hard not to identify with Orpheus. A, being as John, being the understudy, but also on stage, we back him up so so often with our, with our vocals and with our movement. And so we help create his imagery. You know, we, we move the tables and the chairs and we... We help him walk across and we pick him up and we throw him around when we're the when we're the underground workers. So there's there's an attachment to his story more often than any other lead, I, I suppose. Where does the top of the show take place? Mm. We're definitely in a bar. We're in we're in the bar that because I don't know if you see on the set, there's like a le- le- list of drink specials. No. Yeah. So next time you go, it's above Robinson or whoever's playing bass. But Robinson Morse is our main bass player. And it's right behind him. So I guess maybe it's obstructed by his big up, upright bass. But there's drinks that, like the snake bite and like lovers quarrel or something like that. And it's there's I think they change them every now and then. It's really it's a fun little Easter egg. But we refer to the bar as Tipitina's because when Orpheus makes the flower out of the paper, mm-hmm. it's got like an advertisement for music act coming to Tipitina's. We picture it being in this New Orleans bar. Specifically New Orleans, because that's kind of just the the jazzy vibe of the whole show, you know? It seems like a busy show. Mm-hmm. Is it exhausting to do? Yes and no. The way that it's structured, all of our like big, energetic, difficult movement numbers are all in the first act. And they're kind of evenly spaced between like some moments of quiet and rest. So 
there's like maybe a 20, 25 minute period where we are sweating and mm-hmm. we're really working our butts off. You're also wearing like coats. Coats <laughs> and leather and yeah. There's something about the show and also about being on stage the whole time where, and there's moments of us actually resting on stage. There's a connection that you feel to it that just invigorates you. And cause I've been done shows where like you're sitting backstage and you're on your phone waiting for your next entrance and that can really suck the life out of you. What, um, you did Tour of Wicked? I did the Tour of Wicked, yeah. And what did you? What was your track? I was in the ensemble and covered Fierro. Sounds so right. That's kind of just what I do now. <laughs> that show, the ensemble is very present as well, but definitely I've never been in a show as present as this ensemble is. And so there were times, like especially like during Popular, you know, mm-hmm. the ensemble is just chilling. Then you got to psych yourself back up and go and dance, you know. Riddle me this. Okay. This is not your Broadway debut. Mm. Is that right? I know, it's a weird thing. Okay, okay, okay. You explain this because, like, in your bio, it says your first original production. Mm-hmm. There's, like, Fun Home, but then Playbill Vault doesn't say Fun Home. I'm confused. I know, I'm very confused. <laughs> uh, so let's un- unravel this mystery. I technically understudied at Fun Home for three weeks. Okay. So it's a very small production, as, you know, it was only, what, a cast of seven, eight mm-hmm. people? It ran for however long it ran, maybe two years, a little over. And Joel Perez originated the part, and he was so fantastic in the role. And he he like barely left. He barely took vacation. He just was in service of the piece and loved it and was just you know along for the ride. And so I think they got their closing notice, and he's like, I'm going to take this vacation. He just was gone for a week, and legally, they have to have a cover present. So they only had one person who understudied him. And so I got the job to come in, rehearse for two weeks, learn the part, and then sit backstage for a week and be the understudy. And there was a slip, an insert that says, welcome to the company, John Krause, blah, blah, blah. So like I signed the contract, I did the job, but it was, it's never, it's not on IBDB, it's not on Playbill Vault. So it feels like it didn't happen, but it most certainly did. Even the people in my show, like the producers and everything consider this my debut and I do consider it my debut because it's the first time I was on stage and took a Broadway bow. So there's that, but it's a little confusing. That is a little confusing. <laughs> what a like exciting and mundane job. It was so odd. And it was in the midst of unemployment, 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 three weeks on Broadway living my dream, question mark, and then unemployment, unemployment, unemployment. And it's just a strange kind of anecdote in the life of an actor. You know, things come up. That can change your life in an, in in an, an instant. instant. Well, like this did. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It c- came around really quickly. Yeah. Here's my secret. Um, I love American Idiot. Anyone, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's my yeah. favorite show. What did you do on the tour? So I was in the ensemble. Great work. And I covered Johnny, Will, and Tony. All three. I covered all three. And then near the end, I became uh, the rock and roll boyfriend when we did it in Japan and Korea. It was my first job at a college. Like, I booked it the March before I graduated in June oh my you know, of my, my senior year of at Boston conservatory. And that year, actually Michael Mayer gave our commencement address and he got like an honorary doctor or something. And he, he was then my director, you know, and it was a, an amazing thing. We toured UK, the UK for three months and then did six months in the U S and then two months in Korea and Japan. That's crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. It seems like there's sort of an energetic crossover between American Idiot and Hades Town mm, in terms yeah. of what the ensemble is asked to do. Do you absolutely, see that? Absolutely, absolutely. There's something to be said about the ensemble driving 
the narrative and help like kind of assisting the leads in a way like their conscience at certain point uh, certain points um being their physical and emotional link to the to the audience and also just in a technical standpoint we are moving set pieces mm-hmm. and the movement is also very similar in the way that it's pedestrian in the way that it's accessible it's an interesting challenge both i think you the ensemble is required to sort of play characters and also thoughts and mm-hmm. also the thoughts of the leading characters and also being conduit for the audience. Like right. you're, you're sort of shifting hats, but not shifting hats. How do you approach that versus something like fun home mm-hmm. or wicked where you're literally just like the guard, you know who you are. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. It's, it's been such a fun exploration. I, I haven't even thought that that's been something I've done so much in my career is finding a playable objective as a not easily playable person or figment or shade or shadow, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're, you're playing something that doesn't have a like basis in reality. Like that's, I always think about someone who's playing like an angel, Mm -hmm. you know, in like a TV show or some, or like in a movie that they're playing death or something like, how do you humanize this? And I think the main thing is just coming from you. Because at the end of the day, you you can do all the intellectualizing you want to find this backstories of this person, but nothing's going to be as developed as your backstory. So I always come at it, at it from John. What is John thinking, feeling, seeing here? And if he is a shade, like when I'm my ensemble worker, we, we've used that word shade in, in rehearsal a lot. It's like this void of emotion and you've been beaten down so much that you're just a worker in service of the greater good. And I think in that place, it's almost like the sunken place in um, Get Out, where you're like almost screaming, but very, very deep down, like for help. But all that can register is just kind of taking it all in because you you can't show emotion. So it's always I'm there in uh, there's a nugget of me in everything that I do. That's the only way I can access something kind of less tangible. You just went through award season. <laughs> yeah. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. Obviously rewarding, but uh, but exhausting. Extremely, yeah, in all regards. What was the most surprising part of the kind of two-month, I guess, when did you guys mm. open? April? We opened in April, yeah. So you you just kind of like got on the bus and are maybe now getting the chance to exactly. like... Since day one in rehearsals, it was like, you're gonna, this is going to be a lot of work up until and even after the awards but it was like everyone knows that the tony awards have a lot a lot of reflection on the future of a show Mm -hmm. and we were this art piece you know and this we believed in it so much but there's no like you know come see bet midler you know there's nothing (laughs) and it's not like beetlejuice or tootsie that has this like kind of name name that's in zeitgeist or in the ether that people can relate with so it was really, yeah, we got on the bus and we didn't get off until a couple weeks ago. Um, and now we're just enjoying the ride. But what was the most surprising the part? The most surprising part of the whole award season, I think, was you forget that the Tony Awards is just as a TV production. And also all of the things are a production. Like the Today Show, Live with Kelly and Ryan. It's, it's not just like this fun thing. 
which it is, but it's also, you have to hit your marks. You have to, it's still a job. It's still like, there's still producers involved from the today show that need you to do this certain thing. They need you to do this certain thing. Um, you have to get up at 4am sometimes and be there at five and, and be ready to work. And so it's exhausting. And it's, I, I just didn't realize how exhausting it would be, but also a really pleasant surprise was how encouraging and wonderful and supportive the whole Broadway community is, especially at the Tony Awards. I think this is actually a rare thing, but we all got bust at the same time for the opening number of the Tony Awards from our from our matinees. So like we were getting off our bus while Ain't Too Proud, Tootsie, getting off our bus. We're all in our costumes. We're all, and people were like taking videos because we're all just on the street, on this like blocked off street right next to Radio City about to walk in. And we're just seeing all like some people, you know, a lot of people know each other and uh, people are taking pictures and just like crying, you know, like it was really beautiful because everyone's all having this moment of realization that we're about to be on the Tonys, you know, together. Um, and yeah, then it's, we, we it's not every year that we get to see all the cast together. Like we got to see you yeah, this year all at once. And I think that was a really special thing that we all, we all realized at once, I think. And then we sat backstage in this kind of green room area and watched the telecast. We all got to watch ain't too proud together. All the other nominated shows were watching their performance and they came back to like, you know, change and everyone like stood up and applauded for them. And it was this really beautiful, supportive moment. Um, for the Broadway community, and it was really nice to see that. Special thanks to John Krause for sharing his stories with us this week. You can learn more about him and how to connect with him online by visiting our website, theensemblist.com. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. Help others find out about The Ensemblist, guys. It's that rating and review. Open up that podcast app. There's those stars, there's like five white stars, and you can fill many of them, three or four or five of them, with color. What an artistic expression that would be for you. And it'd also help others uh, learn about the podcast, so that'd be great too. You can also follow us on Instagram where we share original photography, new episodes, first-person blogs from actors and other community members. It's a fantastic resource for anyone who just loves theater. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.